This is In the Arena, the debates and lectures of Dr. William Lane Craig. For more, go to reasonablefaith.org. Thank you very much. It's a delight to be invited to engage in this important dialogue with Dr. Seek today, and I've been looking forward to it. Because my time is so limited, let me cut directly to the chase. I believe that science and Christian theism are allies in the quest for truth. Let me outline six ways in which they are related. One, Christianity furnishes a conceptual framework in which science can flourish. Science is not something that is natural to mankind. As science writer Lauren Isley has emphasized, science is an invented cultural institution which requires a unique soil in which to flourish. Modern science did not arise in the East or in Africa, but in Western civilization. Why is this so? It is due to the unique contribution of the Christian faith to Western culture. As Isley states, it is the Christian world which finally gave birth in a clear, articulate fashion to the experimental method of science itself. In contrast to Eastern religions and folk religions, Christianity does not view the world as a realm of mere appearance or as indwelt by spirits, but rather as the natural product of a transcendent creator who designed it and brought it into being. Thus, the world is a rational place which is open to exploration and discovery. The whole scientific enterprise is based on certain assumptions which cannot be proved scientifically, but which are guaranteed by the Christian worldview. For example, the laws of logic, the orderly nature of the external world, the reliability of our cognitive faculties in knowing the world, the validity of inductive reasoning, and the objectivity of the moral values used in science. Science could not even exist without these assumptions, and yet these assumptions cannot be proved scientifically. They are philosophical assumptions, which interestingly are part and parcel of a Christian worldview. Thus, Christianity is relevant to science in that it can furnish a conceptual framework in which science can exist. More than that, the Christian religion historically did furnish the conceptual framework in which modern science was born and nurtured. Number two, science can falsify and verify religious claims. When various religions make claims about the natural world, they intersect the domain of science and are, in effect, making predictions which scientific investigation can either verify or falsify. Let me give some examples of each. First, examples of falsification. Some examples are obvious. The views of ancient Greek and Indian religions that the world rests on the shoulders of Atlas or on the back of a great turtle were easily falsified. But more subtle examples are available, too. Consider the claim of several Eastern religions, like Taoism and certain forms of Hinduism, 
that the world is divine and therefore eternal. The discovery during this century of the expansion of the universe reveals that far from being eternal, all matter and energy, even physical space and time themselves, came into existence at a point in the finite past, before which nothing existed. As Stephen Hawking says in his book, The Nature of Space and Time, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. But if the universe came into being at the Big Bang, then it is temporally finite and contingent in its existence, and therefore neither eternal nor divine, as pantheistic religions had claimed. On the other hand, science can also verify religious claims. For example, one of the principal doctrines of the Judeo-Christian faith is that God created the universe out of nothing a finite time ago. The Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible thus teaches that the universe had a beginning. This teaching was repudiated both by ancient Greek philosophy as well as modern atheism. Then in 1929, with the discovery of the expansion of the universe, this doctrine was dramatically verified. Physicists John Barrow and Frank Tipler, speaking of the beginning of the universe, explain, at this singularity, space and time came into existence. Literally nothing existed before the singularity. So if the universe originated at such a singularity, we would truly have a creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. Against all expectation, science thus verified this religious prediction. A second scientific verification of a religious belief is the claim of the great monotheistic faiths that the world is the product of intelligent design. During the last 50 years or so, scientists have been stunned by the discovery of how complex and sensitive a balance of initial conditions must be given in the Big Bang in order for the universe to permit the origin and evolution of intelligent life anywhere in the cosmos. In the various fields of physics and astrophysics, classical cosmology, quantum mechanics, and biochemistry, discoveries have repeatedly disclosed that the existence of intelligent life depends upon a delicate balance of physical constants and quantities. If any one of these were to be slightly altered, the balance would be destroyed and life would not exist. In fact, the universe appears to have been incomprehensibly fine-tuned from the moment of its inception for the production of intelligent life. The odds of this happening by chance are so infinitesimal that some theorists have been driven to postulate the existence of a world ensemble or multiverse of randomly ordered universes, preferably infinite in number, of which our universe is but a random member. Not only is there no evidence for this remarkable metaphysical hypothesis, but as Roger Penrose of Oxford University has urged, 
If our universe were just a random member of a world ensemble, then we should be observing a much, a much smaller patch of order than we do. For worlds like that are vastly more plentiful in the world ensemble than finely tuned worlds like ours. Thus, given the incomprehensible improbability of the initial conditions necessary for our existence, we should conclude that these are not the result of chance, but of design. Thus, science can both falsify and verify religious claims. Number three, science encounters metaphysical problems which theism can help to solve. The metaphysician George Gale has observed that we are now entering a phase of scientific activity during which the physicist has outrun his philosophical base camp and is ready and waiting for some relief from his philosophical comrades in arms. A good illustration is the so-called measurement problem in quantum physics. Let me try to explain this as simply as I can. According to the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum physics, subatomic particles do not have all of their properties intrinsically, but only in relation to a measuring apparatus. The problem is that the measuring apparatus itself can also be described by quantum physics. But then it too lacks certain properties like location and velocity unless it is related to another measuring apparatus. But that apparatus can also be described by quantum physics and off we go on a vicious infinite regress. Unless there is some way to break this chain, nothing would possess any of these properties, which is absurd. Some physicists have proposed that the chain is broken when the measurement is observed by human uh, consciousness. But it seems outrageous to say that the whole universe depends on human consciousness for its existence. After all, didn't the universe exist during the Jurassic Age when there were no humans about to observe it? Moreover, human consciousness is linked to a physical substratum, the brain, which can be given a quantum physical description. So the question inevitably arises, who observes the human observers? What is needed here is a sort of transcendent cosmic observer who observes immediately the result of any measurement situation. But this is exactly the sort of being that the theist believes in. Thus, the person who believes in God has the resources needed to resolve the measurement problem plaguing the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum physics. Four, theism can help to adjudicate between scientific theories. Lawrence Sklar, a prominent philosopher of science, has remarked, the adoption of one scientific theory rather than another, sometimes in very crucial cases indeed, rests as much upon philosophical presuppositions as it does upon the hard data, particularly in cases in which two conflicting theories are empirically equivalent so that one cannot decide between them on the basis of the evidence, 
metaphysical concerns, including religious concerns, come into play. An excellent example is the special theory of relativity. There are two ways to interpret the mathematical core of special relativity. On Einstein's interpretation, there is no absolute now in the world. Rather, what is now is relative to different reference frames. If you and I are moving with respect to each other, then what is now for me is not now for you. But on H.A. Lorenz's interpretation, there is an absolute now in the world, but we just cannot be sure which distant events in the world are happening now because motion affects our measuring instruments. Moving clocks run slow, and moving measuring rods contract. The Einsteinian and Lorentzian interpretations are empirically equivalent. There is no experiment you could perform to decide between them. But if God exists, then I think Lorentz was right. Here's my argument. One, if God exists, then God is in time. This is true because if God is really related to the world as cause to effect, then a cause must exist either before or at the same time as its effect. So God must be in time. Two, if God is in time, then a privileged observer exists. Since God transcends the world and is the cause of the existence of everything in the world, his perspective on the world is the true perspective. Three, if a privileged observer exists, then an absolute now exists. Since God is a privileged observer, his now is privileged, and thus there is an absolute now, just as Lorentz argued. So, if God exists, then a Lorentzian, rather than an Einsteinian interpretation of relativity theory, is correct. It's hard to imagine how religion could have any greater relevance to science than this, to show that one theory is wrong and another is right. Five, theism can augment the explanatory power of science. One of the pillars of the contemporary scientific view of the world is the evolution of biological complexity from more primitive life forms. Unfortunately, the current neo-Darwinian synthesis seems to be explanatorily deficient in its explanation of the gradual rise of biological complexity. For one thing, the neo-Darwinian mechanisms of random mutation and natural selection appear to work far too slowly to produce unaided sentient life. In their book, The Anthropic Cosmological Principle, Barrow and Tipler list 10 steps in the evolution of Homo sapiens, including such steps as the development of the DNA-based genetic code, the origin of mitochondria, the origin of photosynthesis, the development of aerobic respiration, and so forth, each of which, each of which is so improbable that before it would have occurred, the sun would have ceased to be a main sequence star and incinerated the Earth. They report that there has developed a general consensus among evolutionists 
that the evolution of intelligent life, comparable in information processing ability to that of Homo sapiens, is so improbable that it is unlikely to have occurred on any other planet in the entire visible universe. But if this is the case, then one cannot help but wonder, why should we think that it evolved by unaided chance on this planet? The gradual evolution of biological complexity is better explained if there exists an intelligent cause behind the process, rather than just the blind mechanisms alone. And thus, the theist has explanatory resources which the non-theist lacks. Finally, number six. Science can establish a premise in an argument for a conclusion having religious significance. The medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas always assumed the eternity of the universe in all his arguments for the existence of God, since to assume that the universe began to exist made things too easy for the theist. He wrote, if the world in motion have a first beginning, some cause must clearly be posited for this origin of the world and of motion. Moreover, there was simply no empirical way to prove the past finitude of the universe during the Middle Ages. But the application of the general theory of relativity to cosmology and the discovery of the expansion of the universe during this past century appears to have dropped into the lap of the philosophical theologian precisely that premise which had been missing in a successful argument for God's existence. For now, he may argue as follows. One, if the universe began to exist, then the universe has a transcendent cause. Two, the universe began to exist. Three, therefore, the universe has a transcendent cause. Premise two is a religiously neutral statement which can be found in almost any text on astronomy and astrophysics. And yet, it puts the non-theist in a very awkward situation. For as Anthony Kenny of Oxford University urges, a proponent of the Big Bang Theory, at least if he is an atheist, must believe that the universe came from nothing and by nothing. But surely that is metaphysically impossible. Out of nothing, nothing comes. So why does the universe exist instead of just nothing? It's plausible that there must have been a cause which brought the universe into being. And by the very nature of the case, as the cause of space and time, this cause must be an uncaused, changeless, timeless, and immaterial being of unimaginable power which created the universe. Now, all this is not to make some simplistic and naive judgment like science proves that God exists, but it is to say that science can establish the truth of a premise in an argument for a conclusion having religious or theistic significance. In summary, we've seen six different ways in which science and Christianity are relevant to each other. One, Christianity furnishes a conceptual framework in which science can flourish. Two, science can both falsify and verify claims of religion. 
three, science encounters metaphysical problems which theism can help to solve. Four, theism can help to adjudicate between rival theories. Five, theism can augment the explanatory power of science. And six, science can establish a premise in an argument for a conclusion having theistic significance. Thus, in conclusion, science and Christian theology should not be thought of as foes or as mutually irrelevant. Rather, we've seen several ways in which they can fruitfully interact. And that is, after all, why they, there is today such a flourishing dialogue between these two disciplines going on. to introduce to you Dr. Sifa Farren, whose main training is in religious studies with the focus of Buddhism and religious anthropology. The research focuses on the practice and origin of Chinese Buddhism, particularly as it relates to the rituals of, of Chinese Buddhism. Since July 2008, she started teaching in the development of cultural and religious studies and the School of Continuing and Professional Studies at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. She is now a visiting assistant professor at the Center of Buddhist Studies of the University of Hong Kong, as well as the abbess of the Dharma Nature Preaching Hall. Uh, please welcome Dr. C. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, so, before my speech, I just want to have some. Um, claims here is because I'm trained in the religious study and then uh, I have just want to provide some views for you to understand Buddhism and understand Buddhist uh, attitude towards um, Buddhism, truth, uh, science and philosophy. Okay, so uh, I, before I, I give my talk, I just want to show you that kind of the understanding uh, because we believe that truth uh, is one, okay? In Buddhist study, in Buddhist attitudes, so uh, we believe that Buddhism can provide some views or some correct view for us to understand more about the truth uh, inside the universe or of the universe, okay? So, however, we also believe that uh, philosophy and science also provide some views or understanding for us to just like similarity, have some similarity of before speakers is because we believe that maybe science can help us to verify or to prove the truth, okay? So we just want to find some answer to help us to understand more about the truth. Or it's because I am studying from the um, University of um, Chinese University and then Lancaster University and then we have a little bit um, background about the theologies. So uh, we don't want to try to have some uh, that kind of the argument to prove that is it really have a God or not. But we just want to have some understanding about what is the main 
uh, understanding or the core value of Buddhism. Why we need to believe in Buddhism. What is the thing or attitudes of Buddhism towards the whole universe or the science or the truth? It's because uh, almost we like to understand is that uh, some scholar or some ordinary people, they have some understanding about religions. It's because they believe that they have something is different from science or different from philosophy. Okay? So, um, Buddhists have that kind of the claim is that, uh, Buddha said, my teaching is not a philosophy. Okay? It's, it's the result of direct experience, okay? Not really or not really about philosophy, okay? Not only philosophy, uh, but more, okay? What kind of something more on top of philosophy is that Buddha said, my teaching is a means of practice, okay? So we focus more about the means, okay? Why we need to do some practices or why we need to understand more about the truth it's because the core value is that uh, there are two ends over uh, every science uh, or, or we say uh, over the, the whole world. We believe that we are now inside the samsara, the realm of rebirth. It's because we have one problem is ignorance. Okay. So the ultimate aim of Buddhism is we want to attain nirvana. Nirvana is enlightenment. Okay, so there are two ends there. Okay, one is ignorance and then the other is enlightenment, divana. Okay, so if you can solve all kind of the problem about the ignorance, then you can attain divana. Okay, so the practice is that, the practice in Buddhism is help all sentient beings to solve the problem about ignorance. Okay, because of ignorance and then we have great hatreds and then we can create a lot of karma, okay? After that, because of the karma, and then we need to have some, uh, maybe rebirth, maybe suffering, okay? So the problem is we have some suffering inside the world, and then we need to believe in Buddhism, and then have some practices, okay? So the practices is the means to help all sentient beings to solve the problem of suffering, okay? So the core value of Buddhism is free from suffering. So why Buddha said that? Uh, Buddhism is not merely a uh, philosophy, but it's a kind of the means of practice, okay? So, but the end is that, just like the Diamond Sutra, Jin Gang Jin, Gam Gang Geng, okay, Diamond Sutra, it said, my teaching is like a rust uh, used to cross the river, okay? Cross the river. River is a kind of the sign. Maybe is uh, the example is that uh, we are now in the river or in the sea, and then this is a kind of the suffering. So his teaching is let us to overcome all kind of the suffering. So this is the claim uh, from the Buddha, and then uh, we provide some views here is that uh, Buddhism is not merely a philosophy, not merely. But uh, philosophy is maybe is a part of Buddhism. Okay, so I provide a kind of view. And then second is that Durkheim, Emil Durkheim. Maybe you know him. Uh, it's because my uh, major study is about the religions and anthropology. So um, I take um, much of my time and then to understand why the religious people 
Nietzsche uh, engage or Nietzsche join many kind of the ritual, the religious practice or ceremony. So Emil Durkheim just claimed that what is religious phenomena? Religious phenomena are naturally arranged into two fundamental categories. So one is belief, okay, and the other is right, okay. So that means ritual or the practice is based on the belief of some religious people. So why people need to have the practices? Why we claim that religion is religion is not just philosophy. Okay, philosophy maybe you just need to sit here and then uh, listen to the speech. Okay, after that you don't need to commit anything. Okay, you don't need to have some practice. But be when you believe in Buddhism, so after a speech I given, and then you need to have some practices. Just like maybe you will just feel that I am now suffered in the universe, in the rebirth, and then I want to get out from the samsara, the will of rebirth, and then I try to solve some problem about karma, and then I need to change my life from the negative karma to do more positive karma. Maybe after my speech, then you will become a vegetarian. Okay, <laughs> so this is belief, and okay, it's because it's not merely a philosophy. When you just sit here and then listen to a kind of a philosophy, and then you don't need to commit to be a vegetarian, okay? But if you are Buddhist, and then you believe in Buddhism, and then after you accept, okay, accept the teaching from the Buddha, and then maybe you want to have some practices. So this is why I use the climb, uh, and then to put after the speech of the Buddha, uh, to prove that why Buddha said, uh, we say Buddhism is not merely a philosophy, but it also a kind or a means of practice. Okay, it's a very, very interesting way for you to have a fresh idea about Buddhist attitudes, okay, towards um, philosophy and science, okay? So this is very important. And then the other scholar I just want to introduce to you is uh, Linian Smart, okay? It's because I graduated from Lancaster in the UK, and then Linian Smart also came from Lancaster, okay? Uh, a very famous scholar in religious study, and then he find that in each religious tradition, okay, including Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, or Christianity, and then we find that there are six dimensions inside each uh, religion. Or maybe some religions just have some of that kind of the dimension. Maybe some of religions, they have all six dimensions, okay. Inside all six dimensions, so which part should be belongs to uh, philosophy? Maybe the doctrinal dimension, maybe the doctrinal dimension. But uh, we also will regard that um, the dimension related to experience, myth, ritual, ethic, social, all kind of that dimension can have some signs, okay? or have some uh, expression inside the religious or religious practice. So uh, we believe that main part, okay, main part 
inside of religious traditions, so the doctrinal aspect, the doctrinal dimension may be related to the philosophy, okay, related to philosophy. And then, uh, if you just think that Buddhism is merely a philosophy, I think it may be a wrong expectation, okay? So it's because based of that kind of the doctrinal dimension, based of that kind of the belief, and then some Buddhists, they have some expression, maybe inside ritual, okay? So maybe they will join just like uh, the Buddha's birthday is coming in May, okay? And then they will join some ceremony to, to join the ritual about Buddha bathing. It's because they believe that uh, that kind of the action can help them to maybe to get out from some ignorance, okay? To purify some um, negative karma, something like that. So. Uh, why religions is quite unique product inside the whole world is because we don't think religion is same as philosophy. But inside one religious tradition, we can find some dimension is related to philosophy. Okay, so that means um, I just use an example or story inside Buddhism to let you know uh, how Buddha see or have that kind of the attitude towards science or philosophy or religions in the whole world. He used an example is that when there are some blind people, cannot see blind people, and then there is an elephant here, okay? So the Buddha have an eyes and then he can see. So he will describe, okay, what is the whole elephant look like. But the blind people will just use their method, just like touch, okay, or smell, or something like that. So Buddha said that maybe there are many, uh, we say, maybe uh, subject, method, or a department inside university can help you to understand the whole truth, okay, the whole elephant. But they just like to provide some aspect, some information or some knowledge for you to understand a part of the truth, okay? So that being Buddhist, just like uh, he, like the people can see the whole truth, okay, can understand the whole truth and also describe what is the truth over, over the world. But some expert, okay, Maybe they can just provide some view for you to understand what is the whole truth. And then uh, we believe that it's the same as the other blind people, science, philosophy, or the other subject can also provide some information or knowledge for you to understand more about the truth. So that means the attitude of Buddhism towards the other religions, the other knowledge, science, or philosophy, we believe that we are so open. Or we can have that kind of the comment is that we are, the religions is very science friendly, uh, philosophy friendly, or, or the other religious friendly. It's because we accept the other people use their own ways or own interpretation to understand the whole universe, okay? So uh, that's why I use um, that kind of the scholar or Buddhist words for you to understand more about the attitudes. So I 
Maybe today I want to introduce more about the Buddhist attitude towards science and philosophy. Okay? I don't want to do much about the uh, how to verify or how to prove. It, I think it's not uh, the step here I need to do, but I just want to in uh, back to the square one. The first step is want to introduce more about the attitudes, okay, towards the other's um, subject or knowledge, okay? So this is uh, the other parts I want to give you uh, an, an impression is that, so what is the understanding of the whole truth inside um, the whole world? Maybe we can divide the truth into two parts in Buddhism. So that means Buddha see that there are two kinds of the truth inside the whole universe, so one is conventional truth, okay? Maybe some people will use the word is classical truth or this world truth, okay? So what is conventional truth? It's all related to uh, the rule or the law of interdependence, yuan qi fa, yun hei fa, okay? Interdependence. That means uh, we believe that the whole universe will not just create by themselves, okay? Inside the whole universe, there are some conditions to let some people or to let something, okay? Beings, non-being, phenomena to create, okay? So that means the creation is based on the interdependence relationship, okay? So uh, Buddha just used a law to describe that kind of the truth is the law of interdependence, yuan qi fa, okay? So inside the law of interdependence, there are some elements inside that law. So one is karma, okay? Uh, but maybe some people just like want to use uh, karma conditions together, and then some is karmic consequence together. We will use one term to, to understand is cause and effect. Okay, yang guo, yin guo. Okay, cause and effect. But inside, that means the yuan qi fa, the law of interdependence, maybe in some words or some direction, some aspect is that they are the same as the cause and effect, okay? So inside, we have some creation. Creation is karma, and then uh, when half the creation, we need to base on some conditions, then we can have some creation. So after the karma and the um, conditions have some interdependence and interaction, after that, the karmic consequences will create, okay? So that means this is the understanding inside the whole universe about creation, about karma or about cause and effect. So I, I will use some example to understand or describe that kind of the understanding. So the core value of Buddhist teaching is, I mentioned before, to attain nirvana. So maybe that um, you can use the understanding about liberation, enlightenment, or something like that. So liberation is free from suffering of the understanding of Buddhism. So we want to get out from suffering, get out from samsara. So this is the understanding of liberation. It's equal to enlightenment. It's equal to nirvana. So what is the understanding of nirvana? That means no suffering, no ignorance, no defilement. So this is nirvana. 
they are fana, okay, no any defilement, okay? So this is the nirvana. So maybe nirvana, we will track, uh, just treat it as a kind of the situation, okay? So enlightenment, nirvana is a kind of the situation. So we are now in the situation of ignorance. We want to attain nirvana through practices, okay? So what kind of the practices is useful? So the all Buddhist teaching, that means Buddhism. So what is Buddhism? Buddhism in the words in Chinese is the teaching from the Buddha. Okay, Fo Jiao. So that means the education or teaching of the Buddha. This is Buddhism. So that means the all teaching of Buddhism just want to let the people or let the sentient being to get out from samsara or get out from suffering. So this is the core value of Buddhism. So that means how to get out from the suffering or nirvana, uh, so, sorry, uh, how to get out from suffering and, and samsara is very important to, about the first step is establish a correct view. So what is correct view? In Buddhism, we believe that why I am now in the situation of ignorance is because my view towards the whole world is wrong, okay? We have many wrong expectations. So after my wrong view, and then I will create some negative karma. So negative karma will let me have the negative consequences, okay? So that means ignorance is related to the incorrect view, okay? So we believe that, so the first step of the practice of Buddhism is to establish a correct view to correct the problem of ignorance, and then we can create some positive karma. At the end, uh, we can get out from suffering. So this is very important to introduce two kinds of the teaching inside Buddhism. So one is the Four Noble Truths, and then the other is Eightfold Path. So maybe if you are Buddhist, you are very familiar with the, this kind of the truth or teaching, but these two kind of the truth can help you to understand the core value of Buddhism and the attitude towards the whole cosmos. So it's because we believe that the problem is about have the correct view or not. So that means the Four Noble Truth is let the people to know now, we are now in the situation of suffering. So the first truth is suffering. And then the second truth is the cause of suffering. And then third one is after you solve all kind of the problem, get out from suffering. So what is the understanding and description of the Nirvana, okay? So the fourth truth is the means for you to attain Nirvana. So this is Four Noble Truth. This is the very fundamental Buddhist teaching in the whole Buddhism. So based on the Four Noble Truth, so what is the first step about practice? It's because I use the words from Buddha and then to let you know what is Buddhism. So Buddhism is the means of teaching. That means the first step of Buddhist teaching is to establish the right view, okay? When you have the right view, then you can have the right thinking based on the right thinking and view, and then you can create the corresponding uh, a positive karma and help you to free from suffering. Okay, because of the limited time, I just let you know a very brief understanding about the, uh, the attitude towards um, 
science and philosophy of Buddhism. Okay, so thank you very much. I would now like to also invite uh, Dr. Angela Chan, uh, who is Associate Professor in Nursing at Poly U. Uh, her research is on uh, person-related care, underpinned by a caring human science paradigm, which involves an emphasis of effective communication in healthcare and interprofessional collaborative practice. Good afternoon. Uh, I guess uh, I'm really excited to have the honor to be the facilitator for this distinguished talk. Um, I guess just quickly, I wanted to recap some of the points that was made earlier by the distinguished speakers. Professor Cray's views of the relevance between science and Christianity are furnished in six different ways. First, it is about the philosophical assumptions for the existing of science. They're very much part of the Christian worldview. Second, it refers to how science can verify and falsify the predictions made about the natural world. To verify, he depicts how science discovery of the expansion of the universe is well corresponded with the Christian's doctrine that the universe had a beginning as God's creation of nothing. To falsify, he argued against the claim of the divine and hence eternal in some of the Eastern religion of the physical space and time. In science, we all know that the universe and time itself are temporarily finite and has a contingent existence. And thirdly, it addresses how theism can help to solve the metaphysical problems, such as how the vicious, infinite regress of our understanding and interpretation of quantum physics, to which Christian can make better sense from the belief in God as the cosmic observer. The fourth way refers to how the theism can help to adjudicate between rival scientific theories on the absolute now through acknowledging God being in time as the privileged observer giving his relation to the world as cause to effect and his now is the absolute. The fifth way is the gradual evolution biological complexity could be better explained if a way is intelligent causes existing behind the process rather than simply behind the blind mechanisms alone. The last refers to the question, why does the universe exist instead of just nothing? It is then possible that there must be a cause which brought the universe into being and could now be argued for a scientific conclusion that has religious significance. The essential role that beliefs or doctrines play in religion and that these are indeed related to philosophy. As a philosopher, my interest is not so much in the rites or the practices as in the doctrines, the truth claims of various religions. Um, and so that is at least a point of commonality that we want to see the relationship between science and philosophy and the truth of these various religions or religious truth claims. And then the view, of course, that I've defended is that um, a theistic view of the world is better at getting things right. Uh, it's closer to the truth than any atheistic religious view of the world, like Buddhism. Buddhism is essentially an atheistic religion, and so the arguments that I've given for theism, I think, would all uh, count against Buddhism as well as secularism. Um, and would suggest that the, the 
the truth is better um, to be discovered in a theistic view of the world than a non-theistic one. Testing? Okay, yes. Uh, yes, uh, I, I think it's very interesting to have that kind of the point is that is it Buddhism also accept that um, there is a supreme god here and then uh, create something or create anything and then is it the a kind of the right uh, right will for us to uh, assist the practice and then it's because there are some signature of the teaching of Buddhism is that uh, we also want to have some um, maybe some subject knowledge help us to verify about the truth before we start the um, practice of inside Buddhism and then Buddha also claimed that uh, he welcomed all kind of the yes proof or science or no science words or knowledge for us to understand more and then when we come to uh, that kind of the slide I show about the law of interdependence and then it's kind of the uh, we say it's the teaching for us to understand the whole cosmos or the even um, or at least inside this world is that why we are so different in the starting points. If uh, the, inter the law of interdependence can give us more about the ideas to understand what is going on, it's a more easier way for us to have the right practice. Just for example is that uh, you are Western people, you're Western people, you're Western, okay? I am Chinese people, so we have different uh, color of skin. Yes, we have different uh, kind of background, we have different kind of the maybe uh, family background, genes, or something like that. So uh, some students of us just ask how to prove there is a rebirth system here, and then I will just ask again, if there is no any system of the rebirth, how come or how do you let me know why we are so different? Okay, so this is my understanding or my question is that Buddha also let me to prove everything before I start my Buddhist practice. So the first thing is you need to ensure that this is the right path for you to practice. So that means if you are now vulnerable truth, so first, if you cannot uh, accept or understand we are now in the situation of the suffering, then you don't need to start your practice, okay? So the first truth is very uh, easy to understand. So we are now in the situation of suffering. So what is the main accent of the suffering is impermanent. So what is impermanent is just like that bottle of water and then when you uh, finish it, then it's become empty. So we cannot keep that kind of the situation permanently, okay? So this is the understanding of impermanence or even uh, some relationship between some peoples. We have what kind of the ignorance is that uh, many university students here and then maybe they have girlfriends or boyfriends here and then if they are ignorant and that they will not believe or have the expectation that their relationship will be broken eventually. 
Okay, maybe. Okay, maybe broken or will be broken eventually. So that kind of the wrong understanding is maybe a kind of the ignorance when their relationship really break, then they have hatreds or greed, then they will create some negative karma and then they feel there is a kind of the suffering. So this is why the Buddha said the first truth of the followable truth is that you need to understand that are you now in the situation of suffering? Okay, so this is why the Buddha let us to understand more about the truth and before the practice. Can I ask a question at this point? You, you emphasize that before embarking on a particular practice to deal with suffering, for example, which is an undeniable fact of experience, as well as impermanence and transit, uh, transitoriness, one needs to be sure one has the right view of the world, of reality. Now, did I understand you, or correct me if I'm wrong, do you think that it's possible to have a theistic Buddhism? that one could believe in a transcendent creator and designer of the universe on the basis of the evidence, and yet still adopt these practices to deal with suffering? Or is Buddhism inherently committed to a non-theistic view of the yes, world? And yes. if so, what justification yes, that would if, there be? If you really can prove that, if you really can prove that, yes. You would, be, you would be open to a theistic yeah, yeah, if you, yeah, okay. if you really can be, yes, yes it's, so, yes, it's very open of the Buddhist mind. It's because we are, uh, okay. I that, that's very different from yes, classical yeah, yeah. Buddhism. Yeah, 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 yes. We are so classic here. Okay, uh, maybe uh, at my talk here, and then I also emphasize one point is that Buddhism is a result-oriented approach of the teaching. So what is the main concern is about free from suffering. Okay, if you really can prove that, then it's okay, go ahead. Yeah, right. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess then my question is, uh, how do we define suffering from the human dimension, the human term? Uh, and maybe uh, alongside with that is, uh, how do you actually view eternity? You know, because especially when you're looking at the ultimate truth, uh, which is very different from the conventional one. Why no, no sound there? Okay, so uh, the first question is, why always Buddhism? Why professor and then Andrew also asked a question about Buddhist view? You are so interested in Buddhist view, is it? So uh, the first question is about uh, how to view about suffering. I mentioned before, impermanence. So the main concern about suffering is the impermanence. So uh, that means we believe that when you um, solve the problem about the ignorance and then you can free from the suffering. So that means, that is the, the one whole product is that, so uh, you, you solve all kind of the problem of um, ignorance and then, then you can attain Nirvana. So that means Nirvana is uh, equal to no any ignorance, no defilement. So what is the um, suffering that means? Uh, the, the main suffering is not only physical body. So physical body, we will experience about the impermanence. So inside Buddhist uh, understanding, what is aging problem? No, aging is not uh, 80 years old, not uh, 90 years old. But now, before I start my speech, and uh, is it uh, 12, 45? Something, yeah, yeah, something like that. And then I am older. 
after I finish that sangha. So this is the understanding about impermanent and aging, the suffering inside Buddhism. Well, wouldn't a better way of solving the problem of impermanence be personal immortality rather than extinction? Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's, uh, it's your understanding towards the other people, but we are concerned more about my suffering. Okay, why yes, I, I but I, I mean I, yeah. in, in Nirvana you cease to have personal yeah. self-existence. Yeah, yeah. It's really impermanence is solved by extinction, but wouldn't it be better to have personal immortality? Yes. Eternal life. Yes, yes, you, we want to attain that kind of the enlightenment. But first the first problem is that we are now really experienced my suffering now. So I need to firstly solve my problem. So why the conventional truth go before the ultimate truth, okay? So the ultimate truth will be the enlightenment, okay? But now we are now suffering inside the samsara and that I really feel I am suffering. So why uh, the impermanent is really a problem is that when uh, you have the ignorance about the uh, incorrect will. So when you experience the impermanence, then the other defilement will come again and again. So I example is that the friendship, okay, or boyfriend or girlfriend, when you fall in love and then you feel it's so sweet, is it? It's so sweet. But after that, that kind of the relationship is impermanent, okay? And then you will feel sad or you want to commit suicide, or something like that. So that kind of the understanding of the Buddha is like a, a view, a view here and rebirth and rebirth inside the samsara, and that after that, you can, um, when you feel that kind of the suffering, and then you will create the other problem of the second suffering. Okay, so that means, I am, um, any boyfriend, girlfriends here? No? No love for you, we are all single. Okay, just for example, uh, when I fall in love and then I have, do you know I am female or male? <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> so uh, if I have a boyfriend here and then uh, we fell in love and then we feel so sweet, okay? And then if I, uh, uh, I have some, uh, a huge problem of ignorance and then I don't think that um, he will let me alone. So, and then I will suffer from that kind of the impermanence, okay? Then I will create, uh, then I will create the other kind of the ignorance and problem, so I feel that kind of the hatred. Maybe I will hit him or have some, I don't know. <laughs> Kill him, okay. Uh, yes, maybe I will kill him or hit him. Then I need to at least stay in the police station overnight. So this is the other kind of the suffering, okay. So first suffering is the friendship broken, okay. And then the second suffering is I need to stay overnight in, in the, yes. Now, so now before we launch further into that, I'd like to try to pull the dialogue back to what the subject was supposed to be today, and that's science and religion. Can you explain to us some ways in which you think Buddhism is related to contemporary science? In my talk, I tried to give a number of examples from relativity theory, contemporary cosmology, fine-tuning of the universe, uh, quantum physics, to show 
the connections between theism and contemporary science. What connections are there between contemporary science and Buddhism? I think uh, in, in uh, many ways, uh, for example, when the science to that, I just like uh, that two kind of the understanding. When Angela C. my note also, the quantum physics also let us to understand more about the uh, ultimate truth. It's because when you talk about the Big Bang or something like that, we also need to have that kind of the container to let you to understand what is the Big Bang. Okay, so what is the understanding towards the whole cosmos? So Buddhism will use some terms, okay, some terminology to understand what kind of the ultimate truth and then to describe, okay? So the words we use to describe may be including the openness, okay? So very old style term may be the void, okay? Maybe uh, emptiness, okay? But now some US scholars, they will use the term is about open to describe what is the container uh, or what is um, the whole cosmos. So quantum... What do you mean by container? Are you talking about space? Yes, space, okay. Uh -huh. So very old term when uh, people use space or yeah. void or something like that. So what would you make of the fact that in contemporary physics, space and time have a beginning and are finite in the past? Uh, when you, uh, it's because when you talk about um, when the Big Bang create the whole cosmos, maybe it's uh, also uh, can align with the, the, the existence of the Supreme God. And then in other words of Buddhism, we also will go in that way is that when you understand the Big Bang is the creation of the whole cosmos, can the all sentient being as the creator of the Big Bang, when you have the first ignorance. Okay, it's also aligned together. So, but maybe it's the, the, the limited time. I just gave a very, very brief introduction. It's because um, there are some scripture, uh, sutra, inside Buddhism also talk about the opening of the uh, whole universe. It's about also quite similar to Big Bang, but we use the different terminology. It's because almost Buddhism is created in 2,500 uh, years ago, and then we talk more about ignorance. So the first ignorance maybe also can understand it that way is the opening of the Big Bang. Okay, so why you are so happy? <laughs> Is it, yeah, am I, we feel, why, why we claim that uh, Buddhism is a very science-friendly religion, maybe in that point uh, we are both together. I am looking at the time here, and uh, I'm looking at the time here, and I'm sure that the dialogue can on, be ongoing, and uh, you know, everybody see here, and then the time just flies, but I'd like to open it to the floor now for any kind of question that we might have for the uh, speakers, yes. Uh, I, I have a question uh, to Professor Craig. Uh, maybe I start with uh, the website www.reasonablefaith.org. So I think that this website name is very interesting because uh, try to describe faith as reasonable. Yes. So in a sense, faith is not reasonable in a sense, so that it, it's meaningful to describe it as reasonable faith. We need to emphasize the uh, reasonable aspect of faith. So I think that this is the main topic uh, for uh, today's talk. Right. But, but I, I want to ask, um, normally, 
when we talk about religious faith, it's because we lack evidence. If we demand adequate, sufficient evidence in order to believe God, for instance, this is not religious faith. This is science. So my, my central question is, I think that Professor Craig has done a very good job in explaining the reasonableness of religion. But uh, it seems that uh, there should also be some sense of tension between science and faith in order to fully understand faith. For instance, I just want to give one example from the talk uh, about the creation, God's creation of the, uh, the universe. It does make sense that uh, there's a beginning of the universe, and we talk about the creation of the universe. But I think we need to be very careful here, because when we talk about creation, it lacks time. So when God creates the universe, it doesn't require time. right? So that, that would be a little bit different from our understanding of creation. Now, you've really opened a whole Pandora's box of things to talk about here. Let me try to be as succinct as I can. I never suspected that the name reasonable faith would appear controversial to people. To me, it just seemed very natural. I don't think of faith in the way that you described as something contrary to evidence or a way of knowing something without evidence. For me, faith is trusting in what you have good reason to think is true. It's trusting in what you have good reason to think is true. And so there's simply no contradiction between having good evidence and arguments for thinking something is true and then reposing your trust in it. So I think that these are entirely compatible. Now with respect to the question about creation, that relates to my point about God and time in my uh, fifth point. Um, it seems to me that in virtue of God's relationship to time, that God must be temporally related to the universe. He doesn't exist before the universe because the Big Bang is the beginning of time and space. So there is no before. So what you have to say is that God's creation of the cosmos is simultaneous with the cosmos coming into being. They occur at the same time, t equals zero. So I would say that God without the universe is timeless, and that at the moment of creation, when he makes the universe, he enters into time in virtue of his causal connection with the universe. Uh, just one uh, I, I think, question. Yes. Well, we should move on to yeah. other yeah. questions, yeah. right? Yeah. I guess we probably could only have one, have two more questions. I have a question for Dr. Singh. Yeah, Dr. Singh. Uh, two questions. Two questions. Uh, first is that uh, actually I agree with Dr. Craig that you have no evidence to give to support the relationship between science and Buddhism. And you go into practice and attitude. And there seems to me a vast ignorance. You talk about ignorance. There is an ignorance about the relationship between science and Buddhism. Could it be because of your ignorance, the ignorance of Buddhism in the connection between science and Buddhism, that you stay be a Buddha? 
Now, this is the first question. Now, because you don't have the, the, the knowledge about the connection. The second is that uh, you talk about the, uh, the right way, your final uh, uh, statement about the correct wheel, yeah. uh, the, correct wheel the, right, the correct wheel. Now, you have not dis described what actually the correct wheel is. Well, you are, actually, you are very open uh, when this is commented. But how authentic is your open view in Buddhism? It is your own view, or it is the view of the, the Buddhism with such an open attitude? Oh, now, uh, I have not finished my question yet. Now, now, now if, if you, you, are, you are saying the correct view, if according to uh, Dr. Craig said, that the theistic wheel is the correct wheel, then would you accept it as well because it is proved as correct wheel? Actually, you say that if you prove to be uh, that there is a God, it is difficult to prove. Actually, is, as mentioned by Dr. Craig, it is not proved. Actually, we accept knowledge because it is more explanatory power. We do not have any absolute scientific truth. We only accept those as explanation because it has more explanatory power. And according to what uh, Dr. Craig said, a theistic will has a better explanatory power. So this must be the correct will. Then you have to, you have to accept it. Okay, that's it. Okay, that's three parts questions. <laughs> sure, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, I think maybe the third question will be uh, have a self-contradicted uh, problem uh, to your first question. Uh, but uh, never mind, I just try to answer one by one. Okay, so uh, please uh, uh, be careful of the third question. Third question have a little bit problem there, okay? So you can think further and then too, we can discuss uh, further. But first question is about, uh, is it my, uh, only my view of Buddhism? Is, 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 is it only no uh, evidence to prove or how to see the science or, or, or Buddhism here and then any connection here or something like that? Uh, why my um, talk is just like open as the Buddhist attitude towards science is because just um, borrow some terms uh, used by professor is about trust. Okay, so uh, in Buddhism, our understanding and, and attitude towards Buddhist uh, teaching is that before uh, you have the I can okay maybe verification or before you prove about the teaching is it true or not, and then Buddha said that please don't start your practice. So when you uh, can prove uh, some signs here or some. Uh, uh, sense or some law here and then you find that the teaching of Buddha is correct uh, in some sense I, in your understanding then you start your practice so that means we are not believed with some certain of uh, uncertainty okay we have no un uh, uh, any uncertainty inside so maybe uh, in religious study, what is belief? When you, when, when you believe something, and then you have some uncertainty here, and then, but if you trust the Buddhist teaching, then you have a certain 
uh, understanding or you can trust. The teachings can help you to free from suffering. Okay, so that's why I introduce first about the attitudes of Buddhism towards science, and then we believe that the science can help you to prove something inside the world, and then help you to understand more. Okay, so this is the um, the attitudes of Buddhism towards science. So we believe that science is also something can. Um, strengthen about the conventional truth, okay? Belief, but science always needs to have some proof before uh, let us know, okay? So the other second question is that what is the right will? Is it my will is right will? No, it's because in my speech I have already introduced to you about the law of interdependence. So the views based on the law of interdependence in the Buddhist idea, this is the right view. So, uh, what is the linkage between them is that because the all sentient beings have their own view. So the problem you point out is that, yes, you point out the problem. It's because all sentient beings have their own view. So they are ignorant. So, so this is a kind of the self-attachment. So what is ignorance? The main problem is self-attachment. So after that, when you have some facts come out here, it's far away from your expectation and your self-attachment, bang, you have defilement. So that means you have greed, hatred, and ignorance going on, and then you will create some karma. So this is the problem. So the Buddhist teaching is that why I say that this is the core value of Buddhist teaching is because we believe that uh, when Buddha say what is ignorance and then the linkage between ignorance and the relationship between the law of interdependence is because you view Okay, your view of the whole world is your own view. Okay, you don't base on the view of law of interdependence. So, what is Buddha's teaching? Let you have that kind of the view to see the whole world with the understanding of law of interdependence. Okay, so what is law of interdependence? Is that why you are here and then you need to have some conditions here, okay, maybe vehicle, maybe time, maybe the advertisement of this seminar, then all kind of the conditions let you to come here and listen our talk, okay? So this is condition. So all kind of the conditions have the interdependence together, let you to create the karma to sit here and listen the talk. So what is the karmic consequence here? Maybe you feel happy or unhappy. Okay, so this is the karmic consequences. Okay, so if you have ignorance is that before you join our talk and then we expect you feel very happy or you can challenge the speaker, so this is your expectation. But after that, the fact or the result is not fit your expectation that you can have some defilement, maybe hatred, maybe greed. So this is what is I say in Buddhism about ignorance. So that kind of the ignorance will push you to create the second kind of karma and then you will suffer in that kind of the karma, maybe the second time of hatred. 
So this is why I say the science can help us to or provide us a way to understand more about the law of interdependence, okay? The interdependence is almost the same of the conventional truth. Okay, so I will not answer the uh, third question is because I, I feel the question has some uh, self uh, contradictory. Thank you. There's another question. This question is for uh, Professor Craig. Um, in the, 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 the the what did you write to say the kind of theism uh, uh, you have argued for uh, this morning? Um, that the god of that kind of theism is uh, in practically uh, is indistinguishable from the god of deism, um, who is like an amazing clockmaker who made this clock and started clock and left it on its own devices. And therefore, our present um, condition of humanity is actually described uh, by the words of Adam Smith, the melancholy of a fatherless world. You're quite right that the arguments that I've given are consistent with a deism which is a view of the world according to which God exists, but hasn't revealed himself in any special way. Um, and the reason uh, for that is that the arguments that I've been giving today are consistent with any kind of generic monotheism. Uh, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Deism, there are even certain theistic forms of Hinduism that exist, minority views. What it's not consistent with is views in which ultimate reality is impersonal, like Buddhism, Taoism, and most forms of Vedanta, Hinduism, and so forth. Um, but although it's consistent with deism, that doesn't mean I stop there. As a Christian theist, I have other reasons not shared in today's dialogue for why I believe this creator and designer of the universe has revealed himself in a decisive and special way in Jesus of Nazareth. But the dialogue today was on religion and science, and so I wanted to focus on the scientific aspects um, of the relationship of Christianity to the world. But certainly I would go beyond deism um, in my views of the historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, and who he claimed to be and what he did. So maybe in that case, we probably have to hold off and that's a, leave a lot of foods for thought and I guess you can always go on the website or maybe write emails to other speakers uh, just to continue the dialogue. So I guess uh, maybe we should just give a round of applause. For more, go to reasonablefaith.org.